Welcome to the EFC Podcast. My name is Karen Stiller. Today we have with us Preston Manning. Uh, lots of Canadians know exactly who Preston Manning is and the important history he's had in our country. He's the founder of two federal political parties. He has served as leader of the opposition in the Canadian Parliament. He's the author of a book called The New Canada and another book called Think Big, My Adventures in Life and Democracy. But very recently, uh, Preston Manning is the author of a new book called Faith, Leadership and Public Life. Mr. Manning, why did you write this latest book? Well, firstly, Karen, because as long as people are free to hold religious convictions, I, I don't think you can separate the religious and the spiritual from the political. You can keep the institutions separate, and I think that's a good idea, but I, I don't think you can keep the subjects uh, uh, separate. And, and so there will always be a faith-political interface and uh, I think the real issue is how to live there if you're a believer or how to manage that interface, uh, even if you're not. And one of the most instructive books on that whole subject is the, uh, are the Judeo-Christian scriptures, Moses, uh, David, uh, exiles like David, uh, like Daniel, all lived their lives and their careers at that interface. Jesus himself chose a uh, a political word, the kingdom of God, to describe his mission. So uh, I think it's a relevant subject, and there's a great deal to learn, particularly from the Judeo-Christian tradition. Relating faith directly to the political world in Canada today, it feels like kind of an unfashionable thing to do. <laughs> do you think your book is uh, sort of just right for this moment, or is it going to catch people by surprise? Well, I think it's right because uh, what I try to do is broaden the discussion way beyond the, the narrow scope that particular secular journalists and political people think about. When you say, uh, you know, the, the relevance of uh, faith to politics, they immediately go to, well, you want to talk about abortion, same-sex marriage, euthanasia, and those are issues. But I take a far broader approach. Uh, for example, if you're a legislator, and uh, I was a legislator. My father spent uh, 33 years in the Alberta legislature. You make laws. And uh, one of the greatest textbooks on lawmaking are the, the Hebrew scriptures. You, you have a, a story there of, of the benefits of law, uh, but also a story on the limits to law that... Uh, the, uh, the the Hebrew people, it's a 400-year experiment that's documented in the Old Testament of people that lived under the rule of law. The idea that you could reconcile people to each other and people to God through adherence to law. And the conclusion of the Old Testament, the Latter-day Prophets, was that there's limits to that, that, that law can't achieve that. And they got searching then for another way. Well, this is extremely relevant to any lawmaker. Do you understand the benefits of law, but do you understand the limits to law? What cannot be accomplished by passing a bill in a legislature or a parliament? So that's just one illustration of that's a huge subject that's relevant to lawmakers and, and to ban that discussion from the public square because it's got faith uh, uh, roots is, is uh, ridiculous. Yeah. Let's talk about reconciliation for a moment, because that is a big part of what you're talking about in your book, that it's 
you know, obviously uh, the Christian can play a huge role in a reconciling work between different groups. Um, why is that so important and how can people of faith, I guess whatever faith in particular, play a role there? Well, first of all, uh, Karen, I think it's relevant to anybody that's getting into the political arena, because in the final analysis, particularly if you get into government, one of the main tasks of government is the reconciliation of conflicting interests by non-coercive means, a democratic government. And uh, so anybody in politics, whether you have a faith perspective or not, ought to be interested in how do you reconcile conflicting interests. And again, the, the, the scriptures are a great book on it, the, the the Old Testament way of trying to do it, and my goodness, they tried hard, was to try to reconcile conflicting interests through law. And, and as I said before, the conclusion was it didn't work. You needed some other approach. And then the New Testament, from my reading, is a story of reconciliation through uh, um, self-sacrificial mediation. And it's quite different. It's an out-of-court settlement rather than a court settlement, mm. which is the Old Testament route and uh, G -G the, the, the reconciliation approach in the New Testament is you have a mediator who incorporates both sides of the conflict. Okay. Uh, unlike a judicial mediator where, where you want the mediator to be distant from the parties and the Jesus approach was you were intimately involved with both parties, with God and with, with man. Uh, uh, secondly, that mediator uh, facilitates communications between the two parties. He, he prayed to God and he taught uh, uh, people. He facilitated communication. And then the most dramatic part of that, his type of mediation, was the mediator uh, in incorporates into himself the problem and sacrifices his own interests in order to achieve it. Like th that, that is, when, when I was a younger fellow, I was in the management consulting business, uh, particularly trying to reconcile conflicts between energy companies and Aboriginal people. When I, when I first saw Jesus' approach in that light of self-sacrificial mediation, I, I thought it was one of the most ingenious and otherworldly approaches yeah. to conflict resolution that I'd ever seen. Well, can I ask you then to comment on, uh, because I, and I think a lot of us think very quickly about our relationships uh, with First Nations peoples in our country when we hear the word reconciliation. And this idea of a self-sacrificial mediation, how could that help us today where we are in Canada? Well, I think what, one of the things is that the people who can be most effective in that area are people who can incorporate uh, uh, both sides. Mm. Uh, in looking for people to lead a reconciliation effort, whether it's in a specific project or with a particular band or on this uh, broader issue. I think trying to find mediators who uh, identify and understand both sides. And often that is not the, the white politician or the ab aboriginal leader, it, it's somebody that incorporates both. In my experience, and it's interesting on the prairies, I found Métis people because they incorporated both sides, often were very effective mediators in that, uh, in that area. Wow, that's very interesting. Um, 
You write in your book that uh, genuine Christianity does not seek to impose itself or its solutions on those who choose not to receive it, and uh, which I find a really refreshing statement. And I'm wondering, is that something that we have sometimes not been very good at in the church, that we maybe maybe our uh, motivation for wanting to impose things isn't bad. It may be because we really believe this is a better way. Um, but have we kind of messed up in that area in the past? Well, I, I think so. I, I'm very much in favor of believers and Christian people involving themselves in politics, but not from the motivation of we're going to seize power and impose a spiritual agenda uh, on people who aren't prepared to receive it. And, of course, in, in the book, I, the, the great classic discussion of this in literature is Dostoevsky, the Russian uh, author, who had his commentary on the temptation of mm. Jesus and his interpretation of the third temptation when the, uh, Satan comes to him and says, uh, I'll he shows him all the kingdoms of the world and all the political power. And he says, I'll give you all of this if you'll just bow down and worship me like if you if you seize political power you can implement whatever your agenda is and what Dostoevsky points out is that Jesus categorically uh, rejected that and that uh, b believers should should reject that too and uh, if we think that uh, the way to achieve the kingdom of heaven is to uh, acquire earthly political power and impose it on others that that that's directly contrary to what Jesus himself uh, did and taught. When, if you were coaching or speaking to, and maybe you do this uh, often, um, a Christian uh, or a person of faith who's considering entering politics in Canada today, what advice do you give them? Well, one particular area, and maybe this is too particular, is uh, to study Jesus' style of communication. Uh, politics today is about 90% communication. And he, he was um, uh, what I would call an incarnational communicator. And he had three characteristics to his style of communication. And, and the reason we should study him, after all, his public life lasted 36 months. 36 months. And 2,000 years later, several billion people profess to at least know who he is and to be guided in some way by his teaching. So he must have been a pretty good communicator. And the three characteristics of his communication was he embodied what he was saying. He didn't just talk about love. He embodied it. He didn't just talk about service. He embodied it. So you want to be an effective communicator, embody what you're talking about. And don't just have it as abstract points in your platform. And then secondly, he immersed himself in and among the people with whom he was eventually going to communicate. I mean, the scholars tell us he was probably apprenticed in the carpenter shop at age 12. He didn't begin his public ministry with, uh, until he was 30. So he spent 18 years talking to, meeting with, listening to their stories, listening to their language, the people he was ultimately going to talk to. Six years of preparation for one year of public life. Can you imagine how the performance of our parliament might be improved if every member of parliament spent six years preparing for every one year of a term? Yeah. And then the third thing was, like, he was trying to c communicate um, uh, concepts and idea of a high level of abstraction, the eternal life, uh, 
uh, evil, good, uh, righteousness, reconciliation. These are concepts of a high level of abstraction, but, but he communicated them in the language of the people he was talking about. He used these homey analogies, shepherds and sheep, light in the darkness, candle in the darkness, wheat and tares in the field. He, and those are characteristics of a, a, what today the communications consultants called receiver-oriented communication. You start with where the people's head is at mm. and the language that they use. How would they explain what you were trying to tell them if they were tell, telling someone else? And he, I think whether one's a, a believer or not, one can learn a great deal about effective public communications from Jesus of Nazareth. And of course, if you start there, you might find out you can learn some other things from him. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, as you were speaking about communication just then, I was thinking that um, another thing I think that could be learned would be out of the humility of Christ uh, just when politicians make mistakes or misspeak, I always respond so much better to them when they just say, I'm sorry, I, I made a mistake there, and or I shouldn't have said that, you're right. And I think that humility of, that posture of humility can go a long way as well. Yes, I think that's very true. And, and even from the standpoint of how do you deal with the evil, whether it's in society or in your own life, the one of the starting points, uh, according to Jesus, and in fact, the Old Testament as well, is to acknowledge the evil, yeah. to acknowledge the mistake, not to cover it up, not to justify it, but to acknowledge it and to uh, seek uh, for forgiveness and uh, repentance, which actually means turning around and going the other direction. Uh, I think uh, there, there's a great need for that because in the modern political world or any political world, you're not going to have a, a career that's completely free of mistakes. <laughs> yeah. What is lost when people of faith feel marginalized from the public square or are sidelined from the public square? What do we lose in Canada or risk losing? Well, well I think we lose all the wisdom that's in these uh, you know, principles and teachings, we, we, we lose this whole concept of uh, what are the, the benefits to the rule of law and what are the limits to it. Our Constitution, the first line in the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, says whereas Canada is founded upon principles that recognize the supremacy of God and the rule of law. Well, well as I've already said, there's an enormous amount to learn about the rule of law from the, the Judeo-Christian tradition, this subject of reconciliation, that, that the whole thing is about that. Uh, and, and conflict resolution is an integral part of the political uh, process today. Public service, the, the whole concept of service is discussed in the scriptures. The characteristic of people like Daniel and Esther and Joseph was that they were excellent at what they did. They had a faith commitment. They felt they were accountable to God for their service, not just to the people they were serving. And they were very, very good at it. There's a lesson in that we should, particularly believers, should be excellent and diligent in any kind of service we get into. And I think all of these things are, are relevant to contemporary situations today. And one of the sad things that in Canada, by trying to constrain uh, expressions of faith to the private sphere and say that we can't talk about this or this is no place in the public arena. It's not only foolish and, and 
short-sighted. It's cutting us off from an enormous resource. It also happens to be a violation of uh, our own charter of rights and freedoms. The, the, the first clause, as you know, in that, the, the first five rights that are defined in the charter are freedom of conscience, freedom of religion, freedom of thought, freedom of opinion, and freedom of expression. And uh, to constrain these, this wisdom from the spiritual tradition, from the political square altogether, is, is not only foolish, I, I think it's a violation of uh, Canadians' fundamental rights. Well, I think a lot of Canadian Christians and other faiths as well are um, actually really genuinely concerned about that and the direction they fear Canada might be going. And I'm wondering um, what your thoughts are on that. Are you optimistic about the future of faith and politics in Canada or how are you feeling? Well, I, I think uh, believers, uh, of no matter what faith tradition, uh, need to be more active in expressing their concern. And, and you can ask a candidate for public office, are you prepared to champion freedom of conscience, freedom of religion, freedom of thought, freedom of opinion, and freedom of expression? The, the Charter purports to guarantee that, but are you prepared to champion that uh, in the public arena? And if you aren't, uh, what's your grounds for violating our, our rights in that area? Uh, I would like to see that question asked of uh, potential appointees to the courts. I think it's possible today that the, the, for judges to be prejudiced against religion, to have prejudice in the, the court. And how can someone that's prejudiced against religion uphold the charter provision for freedom of conscience and freedom of religion? So I think these questions can be asked and one can be supportive of those that respect those freedoms, it doesn't mean they have to agree with everything that happens through freedom of expression or freedom of religion or freedom of conscience, but you don't deny the right to have it expressed or applied. Christians are often encouraged uh, to contact their members of parliament and, you know, interact with them on issues. Often it's when there's a crisis, but we're also encouraged to contact them, you know, during regular time and just say thank you and uh, and support them. I'm wondering, as someone who has been in Parliament, if you could uh, tell our listeners how best to approach an MP uh, for impact. Well, I think, Karen, and this is a characteristic of any kind of relationship, you'll be more effective in your particular communication if you have a relationship with the person before you get to that particular communication. If the only time an MP hears from a constituent is when there's a problem or when they disagree with something they're doing, that, that, that person, people have a right to communicate in that vein. But I think if you can have a relationship with that, you know, you've shown an interest in that in your elected official uh, you know, maybe you've worked in their campaign or you've uh, gone to some event. Most of them have meetings in their constituency. You, you establish a sort of a personal relationship. But then when you've got a particular point to make, it will resonate better than if the only time the MP ever hears from you uh, is when there's a particular axe to grind. Yeah, yeah, that, uh, that's... Great advice. In closing, Mr. Manning, can you share with us how your faith has sustained you over the years? I mean, you have been in this 
work for a long time and you've created this great uh, resource and book full of guidance for us. Tell us what it's meant for you over the years. Well, there, I think there's two levels. There's there's the personal level in your own personal life and the role that uh, commitment to, to God through Jesus, how, how that affects you there. Uh, but probably the biggest impact for me, because I, I come from a political family. My, my father was involved in provincial politics in Alberta his entire life, and uh, I've been involved uh, one way or another virtually all of my life. I think seeing the relevance of the Christian faith to life today has been one of the sustaining things for me. I never had a problem as a young person in accepting the basic tenets of the Christian faith. But my wrestling and my question was, more: well, how does this work out? How does this relate to business, to uh, politics, and to science? Those were my three areas of interest. And the fact that I, I found relevance and that I found wisdom and found graciousness in the application of the Christian faith in those areas that, that, that has been one of the sustaining things for me, particularly in the in the political arena. And that's what I encourage other people to, uh, A, first of all, figure out what's your personal spiritual situation and, and commitment. But then secondly, how does it work itself out in your daily life, your daily work? And in my case, that's been politics. Well, Mr. Manning, thank you so much. Thank you, Karen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To listen to more and to subscribe to Faith Today, Canada's Christian magazine, please visit www.theefc.ca forward slash faith today.